0: Welcome to my channel. My name is Lisa Allistway, and I create fun, inspirational, and informational videos you can use and apply to your life. Before we begin, please hit the subscribe button and hit the alert bell to know when the next video is going to drop. Okay, it is my privilege to introduce today's guest, who is Bruce McClintock. And he is the founder and CEO, that's Chief Exploration Officer, of Hike for Life. Bruce grew up in Colorado, but did not start hiking until he was a teenager, he summited Pikes Peak for the first time at age 14 and he did that from Craig's trailhead, which is the same route that the hike for life guides use today. Since then, he has climbed over 40 of Colorado's 14 ers and has hiked all over the world. Bruce created hike for life to help share the wonder and joy of the outdoors with people that were new to hiking. He is trained in wilderness first aid and believes in the importance of helping others hike more safely and with respect and appreciation for our fragile outdoor environment. He is also on the board of the Colorado Mountain Club, which is a nonprofit outdoor group. I will be linking Bruce's uh, website, Hike for Life Organization, in the description box below. Welcome, Bruce.
1: Thanks, Lisa. It's great right. to see you again. I'm looking forward to talking Good with
0: to you. Good to see you. Fantastic. Um, so would you like to add anything to that introduction with regards to maybe your background, experience, or uh, more information about Hike for Life?
1: Sure. Uh, I'd love to. So a little bit about my my background kind of prior to hike for life you talked a little bit about uh, when i first started hiking and how i developed a passion for the outdoors at a a young age Uh, and i was actually lucky over the years besides kind of that first uh, uh, encounter with uh like a fourteen thousand foot peak when i was in the boy scouts where i had mentors and and outdoor leaders to actually have served in the military too so before Mm -hmm. doing what i'm doing now i spent uh a while in the military a few decades in fact and there's a lot of the military training uh, at times has to do with outdoor survival situations and things like that so mm-hmm. i was blessed with having a variety of different resources to give me the skills and the confidence to actually get outdoors in a way that was safe and uh, within my bounds and not ending up too often in, in dangerous situations so that, that's a little bit of the backstory that's helpful um, because one of the reasons I started Hike for Life in about 2017 is uh, back when I was in the military and moved all over the world, literally, uh, I would always come back to Colorado, typically about once a year for about a week at a time. And my goal was always to climb another 14,000 foot peak. Sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't, but it was always a very extensive planning process. and Uh, then I would go out and consider the weather have all the right equipment uh, and try to try to summit a peak Uh, sometimes I'd make it sometimes I wouldn't Uh, but I was very often running into people having what I called the awkward trail conversation Uh, and what I mean by that is I'd be on my way down with usually with friends other hiking buddies and things like that uh, and we're on our way down and we're coming down at a certain time to avoid lightning storms or there's weather rolling in or other factors and we've got all our gear and we'd run into people that were on their way up the trail that uh, were getting a late start they maybe didn't have the right equipment uh, and it, they didn't need seem to have the level of uh, awareness or preparedness uh, for equipment that we thought was appropriate now we I call it the awkward trail conversations because you know we always want to be respectful of other people and their right to do things their way or uh, without a, a lot of outside uh, advice or um, suggestions or, or things like that but on the other hand there are always often times where i run into people and if they kept going the way they were going i felt like they might be putting themselves into more danger than they realized so you want mm-hmm. to strike that balance between saying something to some complete stranger that you counter on the trail or Mm -hmm. just letting them go right and uh, I tend to always err towards wanting to help out people Uh, but you know it was just this literally random meeting on a trail where we'd pass along advice Uh, and the real impetus for Hike for Life was uh, having these conversations over many years right coming back hiking things Mm -hmm. like that but in uh, 20 uh, 16, Colorado tied its own record for the number of backcountry fatalities. So these are people that were out hiking and exploring and doing mm-hmm. things, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, a large number of people died. Uh, and in general, it was because they were putting themselves in situations that were beyond their ability levels, or they caught caught in lightning storms or something like that. And it was that mm-hmm. that was the impetus for me to say, I've got to do something more to move the needle and help people than just have these random conversations on the trail. So that's how we started Hike for Life.
0: And what, what year was that, that you started Hike for Life?
1: So it was, I, I say it was a twinkle in my eye well before then, because it was something I thought, how can I help people and share my passion for the outdoors? But we actually mm-hmm. officially incorporated in December of 2017. So we're 2000. just over three years old.
0: Okay, still fairly new. Um, so what is your mission? For hike for life
1: so our mission is um uh, multifaceted but we like to say that our mission is to help educate support and guide explorers so that they can more safely and responsibly enjoy our great outdoors uh, okay and i can unpack that a little bit more if you want as we go but that that's our essentially our mission statement
0: sure and um so today's Topic is on hiking Pikes Peak, but your organization will uh, work with other groups and other areas around Colorado that you can hike. Correct?
1: That's correct. Uh, so we uh, we we like to refer to ourselves as uh, an outdoor education company disguised as a hiking guide service, and and our <laughs> target uh, audience is really entry level hikers. Right? So Pikes like Peak. <laughs> Well, you know, a lot of people, right? So, uh, but pi- things like Pikes Peak that we're talking about specifically today or, or 14ers or maybe winter uh, backcountry hiking, that's the most advanced thing that we do in Hike for Life. Uh, we are a day hiking company. We're, we're talking about doing more kind of overnight kind of things because because there's guests that we've had that want to return and come back and do things with us. But we start very much entry level and you are advanced entry level because we have people that come to us, all they want to do is take a two hour hike in a scenic place like Garden of the Gods uh, and not have to worry about any of the details. And we're happy to accommodate them because they become part of our audience and part of our community. And we can share the basics of responsible exploration with them even on something as simple as a two hour hike in Garden of the Gods.
0: Okay, excellent. So all different levels you guys cater to.
1: Yep.
0: Okay. so. For the audience, I want to tell a little bit about Pikes Peak. It is located 12 miles uh, west of downtown Colorado Springs, Colorado, and it is the highest summit of the southern front range of the Rocky Mountains in North America, and it stands at 14,115 feet. So it is considered one of the 14ers. myself, not being uh, much of a hiker and not knowing much about that world, when I heard 14-er, I thought it meant you're going 14 miles up when I first met uh, Bruce. And we were like, no, no, 14-ers are like all over and it's about the elevation. And I thought that was an interesting conversation because I live in Houston where the elevation is 100 feet and um, the only uh, mountains around here are highway overpasses and buildings. And so one of the things that I did for my trip was I flew in on a Monday and I did the hike on Friday, which I don't recommend. Uh, Most of what I've read is you need to acclimate to the area and Colorado Springs is at 6,000 feet. So you need to give yourself time. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, So just uh, a little background uh, for why I wanted to hike Pikes Peak. Uh, I remember learning about Pikes Peak as a little girl and the seed was planted. I remember hearing about that people hiked it, but this was before the internet and I didn't know much research on how people could hike Pikes Peak. So fast forward to the summer of 2019, I was trying to figure out my summer vacation plans and I thought... This is as good a time as any to do it. This is something I've always wanted to do. And so I made the decision to uh, hike Pikes Peak as part of my vacation in summer of 2019. Now a problem that occurred is I didn't have any friends that wanted to hike it or they couldn't get off from work to hike it or they couldn't afford to hike it. So I knew there was probably some hiking group. And so I just did some random research on the internet and I found hike for life and I, called and emailed the organization. And I got on the phone and Bruce answered. And um, I know Bruce, you are used to getting random inquiries about people hiking Pikes Peak or other areas. Uh, What are some of the things that you do on the phone uh, with those initial phone calls to really vet people?
1: So yeah, great question, Lisa. And and it's really helpful to hear that background. by the way, it's one of my favorite um, kind of uh, little anecdotes from how we help uh, educate and inspire people is, uh, and there's no reason that you would have known that, right? But things like 14, er you know, that's just common lingo in, in Colorado. Everybody knows that a 14 er is something that's over 14,000 feet. So, but completely legitimate assumption to say, well, no, you have to hike 14 miles. I literally remember being on the trail with you uh, after going through a couple of different options. And uh, I think we were like three miles in a hike. And you said, well, I guess this doesn't really count as a 14. If I make it to the top, does it? And I said, well, of course it does. Why not? Well, because we're not hiking 14 miles to the summit. So I love that story. And I appreciate you sharing it too, um, because that helps inform others that it's okay to not know everything and learn. Um, and that's, Frankly, even just having people call us and ask us questions about Pikes Peak, similar to your experience, gives us the opportunity to educate, right? So we're a social impact business. So it's not like we're lawyers or something, we're charging by the minute of advice or something like that. We want people to reach out to us and ask questions. And whether or not they hike with us, that's fine. At least they're better equipped for whatever it is that they're trying to do. So to your Mm question, Uh, and we do. We get uh, numerous calls where people say, you know, similar to your experience, they say, "Hey, I want to climb Pikes Peak. Can you help me?" Uh, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's as extreme as somebody will say, "Hey, I'm flying in Friday night. I'm gonna. I'd like to climb Pikes Peak on Saturday and then I fly out uh, Sunday afternoon." And the very first thing we do, because we are uh, oriented towards safety, is we 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 caution them against that kind of approach. Uh, you coming in uh, a, a week, you know, Monday and doing it on Friday, is really the close to the minimum that we recommend. So we immediately tell them, you really need to think twice about how much time you take to acclimatize, which is getting used to the altitude, right? Because your body Mm -hmm. is uh, able to take in less oxygen, it's working harder and coming from sea level like you did to 6,000 feet, that's that's challenging enough for some people, but then going all the way up to 14,000 feet, exerting yourself is a big challenge too. So we've actually developed over time a screening questionnaire that will ask people either over the phone uh, and then we send it to them in an email as well so we have a record of it. But we'll start with basic questions like, where do you live? What's the elevation there? How often mm-hmm. do you exercise? What kind of exercise do you do? What mm-hmm. background and experience do you have hiking? Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, that can be, well, I hike you know, a mile every other day in my local community park. Uh, but hiking a mile every other day in a community park in houston uh, or somewhere in iowa that's close to sea level is completely flat is very different than even a one mile hike in colorado so we ask those kind of you know we just call them uh, it's it's really a screening questionnaire but we're referring to them as uh, kind of a introductory getting acquainted kind of discussion Uh, Mm -hmm. and then we'll offer them advice on uh, what we think is an ideal plan for them and flying in the night prior, trying to climb Hikes Peak the next day with zero acclimatization and sometimes not the right level of physical conditioning is not an ideal plan.
0: Right, right. Um, And I know from our conversation, some of the information that you sent me was that I was required to sign a waiver. Can you uh, just kind of briefly go over what the waiver entails?
1: Yeah, so, um, and this is before I talk about the details of the waiver, let me talk about why some, it's for anybody that's talking about going out and exploring in the backcountry or doing things like uh, hiking or, you know, summoning Pikes Peak or whatever, you want to make sure that you're operating with a reputable outfitter. Outfitter is the industry term for uh, people that guide you or take you fly fishing or take you ice climbing or rock climbing. And any reputable outfitter is going to require that you sign a liability and release waiver, as well as it should also ask you about any pre-existing medical conditions. So there's really kind of three key parts to like the hike for life waiver, and this is fairly common across the industry. One, you want to ask people about any pre-existing medical conditions that could affect their ability to perform the activities, heart conditions, Mm -hmm. asthma, uh, allergies, uh, really those kind of things that uh, could impact their ability to, to do well, and also you want your guide to know those things if something happens to you while you're out on the trail, right? You don't want to be mm-hmm. shy about the fact that, you know, you know, I've got a severe allergic reaction to uh, bee stings or something like that, and I carry an uh, epinephrine pen, right? That, that's something you want to exchange up front. It's part of the preparation. So, any reputable outfitters uh, should ask you those kinds of questions. Uh, the next thing they're going to do is they're going to ask to confirm that you release. company from liability for any unexpected mishaps and things like that right you know there are literally things called acts of god lightning does strike sometimes uh, even assuming the best preparation of the the guides and the company and everything else so that's a very common thing the other thing that's built into the hype for life waiver uh, although we're happy to uh, honor somebody that doesn't want to uh, participate in this is it's a release for use of uh, media basically Any videos or pictures or things like that that are taken on the hike. The reason we do that is because a big part of our mission is to actually try to inspire people to get outdoors by sharing Mm -hmm. the stories of others that have done it, to show people at an entry level, you know, you don't have to be some X Games uh, athlete to get out on a basic day hike. Uh, So when you see people of other pictures of other people doing it, it can be inspirational. And we always try to tie in a little bit of our uh, our safety and, and responsibility ethos into our social media.
0: Okay, very good. Um, another helpful thing that you sent me before I made the trip is you sent me a gear list. Uh, so just real briefly, let's kind of go over some of the things that are in the gear list. Um, first is hydration and probably the best tip I can give you is to drink plenty of water before, during and after. I really think that was maybe what made my hike so successful obviously also having Bruce there, but drinking lots of water before you land in Colorado, like a week before, start loading up while you're there during the hike and then drink lots of water after the hike. Um, any other comments about hydration?
1: Yeah. And so, uh, for your audience, what you're doing now is you're about to run through the five fundamentals. This is the way that we structure the, the basic considerations and, and, uh, things that you wanna have on any hike, whether it's climbing Pikes Peak or not. So hydration is the first one. And we typically, for any hike, what we tell people is take uh, twice the water uh, for the planned duration of the activity. Mm -hmm. So really take more water than you think you need uh, because Mm -hmm. in general, that's a good rule of thumb for hiking. In Colorado, it's especially important uh, because it is a very dry climate and uh, people don't realize how quickly they get dehydrated dehydration lowers your performance and actually uh, makes you more susceptible to, obviously to uh, things like dehydration sickness and, and other things and for the pikes peak hike in particular we typically talk about kind of three phases of hydration there's the prehydration, you know you talked about it as well start loading up on water days in advance of coming and it could be just drinking an extra half liter or a liter a day uh, for the pikes peak hike the prehydration we talk about a liter the night before you go to bed, uh, and mm-hmm. then another liter more than you're used to drinking the morning. Not the stuff you're gonna drink on the hike, but the prehydration part. Uh, you now, you can yes. be overly excessive. You know, we don't want somebody to overhydrate, but that liter liter thing is well within the realm of what's acceptable. And it, it, it's scientifically proven, and our experience proves that people that prehydrate uh, perform better on the hike they have a better experience. They might have to stop and go to the bathroom more often, uh, but that's actually okay. Uh, Hydration on the hike, uh, we talk about the importance of actually uh, drinking continually throughout the hike. So you can both have the Nalgene bottles, which are nice because you can track how much you're drinking. Uh, But then the the hydration bladders are good too, because you can drink frequently. And we really push mm-hmm. the water on the hike. I don't know if you remember that, Lisa, but it's like yes. almost every single yes. time, every stop, it's like, okay, make, go ahead and take a drink of water. I'm going to drink some too. How much have you had? Um, yep. That's really important. And then obviously post-hike, you just want to keep your body uh, hydrated as well. So let's yes. lots talk about hydration. Final point on that, uh, we can we include electrolytes in the hydration discussion. Mm-hmm. So it's not just mm-hmm. water. It's actually having the mm-hmm. electrolytes that you, Typically we alternate, it's a personal technique, what your body's used to, but make sure you take some electrolyte packs or, or something that, that includes something more than just the H2O.
0: Okay, all right. Um, nutrition, let's, let's briefly touch on that. What are some tip strategies you would give with regards to nutrition in the day of the hike?
1: So uh, nutrition, the philosophy we like to remind people about is you wanna think about your, there's two analogies for it. Think about your body either being like a campfire or like a, an engine, right? So the campfire analogy is kind of better for hiking. Uh, what you don't do is you don't let the fire burn down to just embers, and then throw a bunch of uh, chunks of wood on it. Right? You don't have to mm-hmm. let it almost die out, and then try to get it to bonfire back up. Right? You want to kind of keep a steady, you know, put another log on the fire every hour or so, kind of thing. And you want to do the same thing with your body too. So you want to spread out your nutrition, as uh, one mm-hmm. point. So when you're not out on a very um, demanding hike, that's not the time to go three hours without eating and then sit down and have a five course meal, right? You literally want to snack as you go. Uh, it's beyond that, it's really kind of personal preference. Um, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of tips and techniques out there. Uh, I would say just uh, make it a, a mix of sweet and savory kind of things, right? So common things are you know, trail mix with some nuts mixed in, beef jerky, peanut mm-hmm. butter and honey sandwich. A lot of people mm-hmm. like those kind of things. So whatever it is that you typically like to eat uh, that's gonna keep your, your fire burn.
0: Yeah, no Big Macs, okay? <laughs> keep it healthy, nutrient dense type of snacks and food. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's talk about navigation on the day of the hike. Can you give us a little brief overview of that?
1: Yeah, so navigation is the third uh, fundamental for us. And uh, we, you know, most of us that are on the team are kind of old-schooler, well-trained hikers. That you know, we have a lot of experience with literally map and compass skills, uh, but we don't want to be, uh, you know, so old guard that we're not open to new technology. So, our mantra when it comes to navigation is: uh, ideally, you're going to always have two uh, practiced and available means of navigation is the way that we put it. So we we always try to showcase by showing up with a paper map and actually have yeah, this isn't pikes peak but i just happen to have a map for another outing that we were doing and we'll print out a paper map and we'll give it to people at the, end of the hike and say this is important because it's, it's like your it's like your tech backup right if your high tech options fail you will at least have a map and everybody should have at least a basic sense of you know, north is up and, and things like that and you know, how to read the basics of a map but we're not like some kind of a orienteering company right where we're going to you know throw you you out in the woods and you get nothing but a map and compass and you have to find your way to safety right it's just good to have those backups at the basics level Um, and most people don't even know there's like a compass on their their phone right so you can use that as an opportunity just to find out that you're going in the right direction but we're also big believers in in apps right there's a lot of basic apps out there all trails is a popular one that we recommend first of all because the basic version is free it includes a lot of good mm-hmm. information. In Colorado, there's one called CoTrex uh, that you can, again, download for free, and that has a useful kind of a distance finder tool built into it. Uh, the point about that uh, is we say practiced and, and available. So practice means you know how to use it. So don't download the app the night before you're going to go somewhere and try to figure it out on the trail, right? And available mm-hmm. has two parts. If your cell phone battery dies, those apps aren't available, right? So always take a cell phone, a spare battery, uh, on a hike of any duration. You don't need it for in-city hikes, but these mm-hmm. apps can be uh, real battery hogs. So you wanna make sure you mm-hmm. have the battery available. And then also a lot of the apps are dependent on cell phone signal. If you don't start them in advance of the hike before you get out of cell phone range, they won't work. Or if you don't download the maps you need in advance, uh, they're not gonna show you anything but the blue dot on the middle of a, a blank screen, which won't be helpful. So mantra on navigation, two means of practiced and available uh, navigation anytime you go out.
0: Well, I, I, I definitely appreciate your old school skills just in case technology fails. So, um, that's good to know. Also, one thing that I really liked about your company and that the day of our hike is that you used a GPS system and were able to, um, show like friends and family where we were at on the mountain. So my mom made this trip and, uh, she could try to track throughout the day where we were going up the mountain. So maybe talk a little bit about that GPS system you all offer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have mine and and this is an older one. So this is actually, the company's changed its name. Uh, It used to be owned by DeLorme. Uh, It's now uh, a different company, but this is an example of a GPS uh, device that we carry on our backcountry and summit hikes, uh, really more as a, a means of mitigation um, but it does provide, and, and I'll talk about mitigation now a little bit, we can cover it in more depth later. Uh, this, these can be used for navigation too, so it is like that practiced and available means of navigation. But mostly these are uh, in extremis messaging devices, right? They use a, it's got a big old GPS antenna on them. New ones have smaller antennas. Uh, and what you can do is you can actually link up like we did with your mom, send a tracking mm-hmm. message to somebody so they can open an app that they can follow along exactly where you are uh, and you, there's a way to send gps messages like sos signals right and mm-hmm. i think i did it with you as well but it's kind of our industry standard our company standard now it's the guide's responsibility to know how to use this right uh, so if something happens to somebody in their party and you're out of cell phone signal uh, which you can't count on cell phone signal most places in the back country, this is how you communicate with search and rescue, right? It's, you know, help them find you. And, and we have techniques that we pass along for what information that they need that's most helpful to them. You know, what is the condition of the person that's injured or uh, what's the circumstances? Uh, but, uh, you know, the thing that I like to tell people is it's it's as simple as what we tell you. Like, the, I usually do it the very first water stop, right? I'll usually go, we'll go up and kind of go up that first little hill on the Pikes Peak Trail and, you know, people are, a feel for what it's like and say okay this is a pretty important piece of information i'm responsible for your safety but if i fall down get knocked unconscious uh here's what i want you to know how to do and i literally show them see this little sos button right here that doesn't work unless you pull this lever over and once you do that this button is activated press that button that's all i need you to know how to do there's some other basic instructions on the back uh, and that will ensure my personal safety as well as yours in a circumstance where I might be incapacitated. So we, you don't need something like this for front country hiking, but if you're ever gonna get out in the back country where you're gonna be out of cell phone signal, uh, mm-hmm. absolutely, if you're gonna go solo hiking, which I do occasionally, mm-hmm. there's a higher risk with that. Um, so I, I minimize the times that I do that, but you wanna have this as a safety device and you wanna use that tracking option that we discussed. Does that help?
0: Okay. Yes, excellent. Um, okay, so let's talk about protection, starting with uh, headgear.
1: Yeah, so protection is the next fundamental that we talk about, and it is really kind of a head-to-toe approach to what you need to keep yourself uh, safe and comfortable, right? Uh, and so mm-hmm. there's a variety of aspects to that. But you start at the head, so let's start at the top there. Um, the first, the most. Uh, important thing about kind of protection is what environment are you operating in right are you in the middle of summer or are you in the middle of winter right because your protection is going to change based on the environmental conditions Uh, in the summertime when we do most of our hikes but even some of the hikes we start in the summertime it can be pretty chilly in the morning you know maybe not below Mm -hmm. freezing but down in the uh, 40s easily so you want like a a light um, headband or a you know light uh, wool cap or something like that to to just keep your head warm. That's a big source of uh, heat loss for the body is if your head's not protected. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of protection. The more common Mm -hmm. thing we talk about in the summer, especially on our basic hikes, is protection from the sun, right? So wide brimmed hat is recommended, uh, baseball cap as a minimum, sunscreen to back that up, uh, and then sunglasses as we work our way down. And then you know I won't Mm -hmm. cover every item of clothing or anything, but then you just go all the way down, head to toe, Long sleeve shirts are preferred because of the sun protection, wind protection. A couple of layers in the summer with a backup layer for rain, uh, all the way down to the kind of pants you wear that you want, uh, you know, maybe a a lightweight uh, thermal layer below and then some hiking pants that uh, are going to cut the wind a little bit. Uh, Socks are incredibly important. And then the kind of shoes that you're wearing uh, are important too. Let me let you talk about shoes.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> I wanted to show the audience. When you do this, you don't wanna do it in your regular tennis shoes. So when I decided I was gonna do it and I needed to get a good pair of hiking boots, um, this is a great brand. I'm not getting paid for this. This is a great brand, Obos. Uh, they are pricey, but I think you get what you pay for. Um, and I like the higher you know, support here. Um, and the reason I recommend it is I literally bought this hiking boot a couple weeks before the trip. Wore it a couple of times. I did not break it in that much. I hiked Pikes Peak in it, and I did not have blisters. So that might be an unusual testimonial, but that was my case. So, in other words, pay a little bit more. These are probably like one fifty or so, and I get a quality hiking boot.
1: Yeah, it's really important to have uh, the appropriate footwear, uh, and you know, it's and it's one of the challenges I think that uh, we face as a company that. Um, supports and mentors and guides, uh, entry-level hikers, is they'll see a lot of things on social media where, you know, there's people, uh, there's high, these are like X-level athletes that are minimalists, right? So you'll see these people out on a trail and they literally have like no shirt on, all they have is like this tank top hydration uh, kind of vest, uh, running shorts, uh, no-show socks, and, you know, some of these, different brands of like nothing to the shoe right you know um, yeah and and people say oh well you know they can do that why do I need these big hiking boots well you know Mm -hmm. the reality is they've trained for many years to get to that level of conditioning and they've gone through different kind of shoe options Uh, not everybody needs a big burly uh, high-ankled hiking boot um, but you really need to consider the conditions that you're getting into and I would say the, you had the minimum amount of time prior to getting your shoes to break them in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't wanna buy them the week prior and show up right. and the first time you wear them is, is on the trail because it takes time to get used to everything. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the, shoe, the footwear is pretty important. We, we're happy to talk you through options and every, every guide has their own preference uh, on shoes, but I've got like, no exaggeration, at least four different pairs of, of hiking shoes go all, all the way from trail running shoes, uh, lightweight at the low end to intermediate weight, similar to um, something that's a little bit less uh, burly than the oboes that you just held up. I have a pair of oboes, too, that I typically mm-hmm. use for uh, winter hiking because they're waterproof. Uh, and if I know I'm going to be doing more rugged off-trail kind of hiking. And then I actually have a, another set of boots that is a winter, intentionally made for winter hiking boot. So it's insulated, it's a much heavier duty. So get the right equipment for uh, your circumstances. Don't try to lowball it and come out in a pair of flip flops.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Um, So your gear list is more comprehensive than what we're gonna cover here, but um, some other things on there is like trekking poles. I didn't use them for my hike. That's maybe a personal choice, Um, backpacks. toilet paper, a bag to put your toilet paper in so you don't leave any litter behind on the trail um, and so on. But Bruce will send you that gear list that has all that good information on there. So I would like to kind of talk about um, what I did in preparation uh, for this hike once I landed. Like I said, I landed on a Monday and I hiked Bikes Peak on Friday. And so when I flew in on Monday, uh, day one, I went uh, straight to Manitou uh, Incline. And for those of you that don't know what Manitou Incline is, it's this one mile stair um, staircase, I guess you could say. It's a free hiking trail where basically you're going to cover 2000 feet in one mile. And I thought, okay, this would be a great way to help me acclimate day one. So I got off the plane, checked in the hotel, went straight to Manitou Springs, uh, Manitou Incline, And, uh, and I did the one mile and it took me about an hour to get to the top. And it's just one mile and just kind of an interesting tidbit about it. uh, The fastest time ever set to go up Manitou incline was by Joseph Gray uh, for 17 minutes and 45 seconds, which is really impressive, really impressive Um, because the average grade for the incline is 45% with some areas as steep as 68%. Um, and also just another little fun fact about it, the world record for uh, Manitou incline is Greg Cummings. He was able to uh, summit it the most in a year at 1,720 times. Uh, and that's an average of five summits a day that he was able to break that record. So is that something you would recommend is that if people come in and they need to acclimate, maybe check out Manitou incline before Pikes Peak?
1: Uh, Lisa, the short answer is no, we do not recommend uh, people come out and try to do the Manitou Incline as their first Colorado uh, hiking activity. Uh, There's a couple reasons for it. You've covered uh, a few of them. Um, And I'll skip the history of the Manitou Incline. It's a great, what I'll call elite athlete uh, training ground. And it has also become kind of this uh, badge of honor type of destination that people that don't live in Colorado come out to and they say, well, I've got to go do the Manitou Incline because I read about it online, right? Uh, but it is really hard. I mean, those times that you cited, again, this is an example of, well, those are world record times for doing this. You know, I, I live here, I'm not in the best shape, but I hike regularly and I'm in the you know, 40 to 45 minute range and that's working hard. I mean, that's breaking a sweat, uh, things like that. Another thing I'll I'll say about it, and I love Manitou. Manitou is a great place to visit, but the incline has become very touristy, right? Because it's gotten such a popular reputation. Um, you know, I sometimes call it uh, a God's Stairmaster, and it's kind of like going to your local gym where everybody's walking around with headphones and you know things like that. It's if you want to experience the outdoors, it's really not the best way to enjoy the, the serenity of the Colorado outdoors because people use it uh, as a gym. And as something that's again, it's these bragging rights. I did the incline, right? Uh, I, we are really big into this progression to what your level of uh, comfort and ability is, uh, and that's jumping into the deep end to try to ma- do the Manitou incline. And, and my fear is always people are going to come out and try that, and at the very least, they're going to have a negative experience, and they're going to you know, people go out there and they try to do it too fast. They they rush off from the beginning, they end up throwing up, uh, and they come away from it with this really negative experience of what it means to go hiking, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't call that a hike. That's it's it's a very different class of experience. And in the extreme, we actually have people that have to call for search and rescue just on the incline, especially in the summer, because it can you can get pretty hot on the incline. Uh, mm-hmm. So people that they don't know the hydration rules that we talked about earlier, they you know, they come mm-hmm. out mid-afternoon, the sun's blazing right on them. Uh, and, you know, they ended up getting dehydrated and having to dial 911. Uh, what I will tell you, so that was kind of, don't recommend that. Here's what we tell most people that are coming out. Again, yes. we, uh, two weeks prior is ideal for Pikes Peak. Hardly anybody mm-hmm. has the time to do that. We understand that, okay? So if you're not going to be able to come out two weeks prior, we say, act as if you're, you're training for a half marathon. Uh, the route we take, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I think, is, is about a half marathon in length. It's about 14 miles, okay, give mm-hmm. or take. So act as if you're training yourself, your body, to do a half marathon. It doesn't matter if you live in Houston or Florida or Iowa, you can train for a half marathon. You're not going to get the elevation gaining and descent, but your body will be used to kind of that level of conditioning. You're not going to be going at that pace, but it's kind of mm-hmm. like the pace can offset the the ascent and descent a little bit, uh, so you can't come out two weeks prior. Start working out as if you're training for a half marathon, uh, and do the best you can. Not everybody has that time either. Come out as many days early as you can, and we we recommend starting literally at one of the flattest hikes we offer is Garden of the Gods. Okay. Do uh, and we offer like an easy classic Garden of the Gods hike that's about three miles, and then we have a more slightly longer, uh, immersive Garden of the Gods hike. And you don't even have to do it with us, right? But just come out. And I, I honestly think it's a shame that anybody comes to Colorado Springs and doesn't go see Garden of the Gods. It's just an incredibly beautiful, impressive uh, place. So go there, take a three-mile hike, like the day you arrive or the next day. And that's very casual, right? You, But you're mm-hmm. building your body up slowly. 6,000 feet, three mm-hmm. miles, 300 feet of elevation gain. Then we recommend the next day or so, do a couple of the backside of Pikes Peak hikes. One of the ones we do is actually starting at Crags Trailhead, and it goes to a rock formation called Crags. Now that's about five miles, but the difference is you're starting at 10,000 feet, and it's a good exposure to what you're getting yourself into on a Pikes Peak summit. It's a really pretty family hike. We have a lot of families that come out and they all think they might want to climb Pikes Peak, but they're not sure, and so we encourage them Do the crags, do it with us. If you want to learn a little bit more about the outdoors uh, or hear about the environment or have somebody that's going to keep you as safe as possible. And not every time, but more often than not, if we take a family of five out there, one of them will opt out of a Pikes Peak hike entirely. Um, And then two will say, we want to do the hike, but we only want to go one way, which is an option that you have on Pikes Peak, as you know. And then one or two others will say, I want to do it. I want to do the full round trip but they're giving themselves exposure to similar terrain, elevation, and things like that. Uh, another option, one step beyond that is called Pancake rock Hike. It's a little bit longer, same concept. And then we generally encourage people to take the day prior to their summit attempt off, meaning no hiking. You can you know, you go, go to see Royal Gorge or, you know, go see, do some other sightseeing, but try to minimize your own personal uh, physical activity so that you kind of give your body a day of rest. Does that all make sense? Yeah.
0: Yes. And that's very good advice. Um, I don't believe I even told you I was doing Manitou incline on Monday because you would have probably advised against it. But I definitely rested those days leading up to the hike, which was on a Friday. And this was in June. So keep that in mind as we're talking about the hike. Um, And so one of the things, uh, there's different trails you can go up. And we went up Craig's Head Trail. And we started very, very early in the morning before the sun came up and um, one of the things we needed to have was a like a light uh head headlamp light um and which we only wore for about 30 minutes so um i would like you bruce if you would just kind of talk about the day of our hike and some of what we some of the places that we went through and some of the things that we learned along the way or you you teach educationally along the way
1: sure i'd love to Uh, so as Lisa, as you just said for your audience, we started at um, Crags Trailhead, right, which is on the back side of Pikes Peak, we call it. Colorado Springs is on the, the east side of the Front Range, right at the edge of the Front Range. So to get to this trailhead that we guide on, you actually have to drive for about an hour to the west side of Pikes Peak, up to about 10,000 feet. Um, and this is actually a conversation that lisa you and i had when you were calling out and asking about pikes peak it probably goes back to your you know your understanding of what a 14er is you originally said hey i want to hike pikes peak via bar trail uh, which is the more Mm -hmm. well-known trail uh, Mm -hmm. and we don't guide on that trail uh, for a couple of different reasons really the most important reason is we don't recommend it for first timers certainly not as a day hike it can be done yes uh, but we don't recommend it because Bar Trail is about 12 and a half miles one way, uh, starting at Manitou Springs, which is around 7,000 feet. So you, you're hiking 12 and a half miles uh, and gaining 7,000 feet of elevation when you go by Bar Trail. And even in two days, that's a lot. There's a place to camp halfway. A lot of people go for that option, which is a cool option. It's a lot of fun. But a lot more gear requirements, things like that. So we guide from the crags, west side of Pikes Peak, starting at 10,000 feet. Uh, the crags uh, hike to the summit of Pikes Peak and back is 14 and a half miles round trip, so a little bit more than half the distance that you're going to go on the Bar Trail. It's also only about 4,400 feet of elevation gain. As as we said earlier, you're starting at 10,000 feet, uh, and you, as, uh, you heard the elevation for Pikes Peak earlier. So there's a little bit of up and down in there, uh, but it's just the preferred option for first-timers. Uh, so there's actually a campground there, Crags campground for people that are you know, interested in doing that, you can actually camp out there. Otherwise you've got to drive up. Uh, the, there's enough snow there that they don't typically open the gate to the trailhead until the middle of May. So uh, Lisa was coming out in June, started um, the season earlier. And we just point that out because uh, there's can still be snow on portions of Pikes Peak. And, and I honestly yes. think we did cross some snow fields, yeah. but I can't remember okay. for sure.
0: Not a lot. There was some snow. Most of it's melted by the time. It was the end of June. Yeah, it was the end of June, like June twenty something. Right, so
1: most of the snow is melted off by the end of June, but in the middle of June, uh, like this this year, I'm going to be guiding somebody uh, May 14th, guaranteed they're going to have snow. And there's other gear that we require for those kind of hikes. Um, So it's a great uh, start to the trailhead. One of the things we talk about in our kind of get-to-know-people discussion, and we send in the advanced materials, too, is... Just to give them a sense of the scale of what they're getting themselves into uh, the rule of thumb that we teach is roughly speaking just plan on a mile an hour uh, for the, the start to the summit so figure it's seven miles one way it's a seven plan on a seven hour hike one way and people you know a lot of times people they have a hard time comprehending that they're, well what, what do you mean it's seven miles you know i jog i can jog seven miles and you know three hours maybe or something like that or a couple hours, you know, if I'm just casually pacing it because I can do like 10 or 12 minute miles or something. Very, very different at altitude, right? Uh, It's actually not a linear progression, uh, but it averages out to something like seven hours or slightly less depending on conditioning level and things like that. Um, And and part of that is because the last 2,000 feet of elevation are going to take about two hours. Invariably, it takes close to that long for people for that that last portion. And do you remember what your one-way time was, Lisa?
0: Well, we got you know, up anything? there like around around 12.31, something like that's when we yeah. reached the top.
1: So that was probably six, six and a half, I'm guessing. Maybe, I'm not sure. Yeah. We started probably at 6 a.m. from the trail end.
0: Yeah. But one, yeah, one good thing about doing an individual hike with your guide is that you can go at your own pace versus being in a group, which was one of kind of the pros of why I chose to do a, a solo hiking with just a guide.
1: Yeah, and that's a that's a really important point because uh, we, we don't necessarily encourage people to do what are called meetups because where you meet up with people you don't know for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is one that uh, Lisa just mentioned. There, Other people have different paces. We have literally encountered and helped people on Pikes Peak who went out with their friends and got left behind because they were slower, right? Um, So yes, another advantage to having a guide. But So seven miles one way, let's talk about the one way. So you start off, we start off typically uh, before sunrise because our goal Mm -hmm. is to get uh, ideally off the summit by noon. That's a really important kind of 14 rule of thumb and ideally uh, below tree line uh, before any kind of afternoon thunderstorms. This is all about safety uh, and uh, the rule of thumb, we change it based on the weather, we monitor the weather closely, and we change the start time based on winds and, and lightning forecasts, but that's all built into the map of assuming it's going to take us about uh, seven hours, worst case, to go one way. And then you've got to turn around re- for some people and hike back.
0: I remember uh, a week after I had done Pikes Peak in the news, somebody got um, struck by lightning for hiking Pikes Peak. Do you remember that?
1: I do. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It happens. And, and by the way, it's not always hikers. Sometimes it's, and I think this was the case with your uh, trip, that was actually somebody that had taken the shuttle or driven to the top and they were at the summit house mm-hmm. and, and they were just kind of walking around the summit house, which has lightning strikes wow. all the time. Um, and one of the really scary things about it, you know, we account for the weather and the forecast for thunderstorms and lightning and things like that. Yeah but there have been cases where there's been not a cloud within 30 miles of Pikes Peak and lightning has struck near the summit of Pikes Peak um, just because of the weather phenomenon. So anyway, we talked a lot about uh, the timing. It's actually a beautiful hike on the backside too, I would say, just a couple of high points about it. So you start off in this uh, very, very cool, crisp, scenic valley uh, with some rock formations behind you. Uh, There's there's a couple of stream crossings at the beginning there's bridges it's all the trail is very well maintained Um, and then maybe a mile or so into the hike there's a split off where you turn left to go up to crags the rock formation i talked about you turn right to go up to the Pikes peak summit trail and again why navigation is important i've personally run into people a mom with two young kids kind of at that trail intersection point starting off on the summit trail Uh, and seeing me as we're coming down from the crags trail and saying, hey, is this the right way to go to get to crags? I'm like, no, actually, it's over this way, you know, um, so navigation is important uh, uh, for these kind of circumstances. Uh, We do a couple of stream crossings there. The elevation gain in the first uh, probably three quarters of the mile is is significant. And I don't know if you remember it, Lisa, but, you know, we have a lot of people that, you know, they want to start out fast and we have to kind of pull them back. We have to them in and say, hey, take your time. One of the rules of thumb that we like to talk about on our Pikes Peak hike uh, is you want to be able to stay at a pace where you can carry on a casual conversation. If you're huffing and puffing so much that you can't talk, you're going too fast. You're going to burn yourself out. And that first three quarters of a mile, we see that a lot. People are like, very excited they, they just want to go get this and, and get it done uh, so we come out of the gate too fast do you remember that experience at all lisa uh,
0: yeah definitely excited and nervous in the beginning um but yeah i mean obviously it's it's challenging to even i think people who are you know moderately physically fit so you definitely want to you know pace yourself rest if you need to and um, really monitor and talk to your guide as you go of how you're feeling
1: Yeah, and I I generally like to talk with people about, at least for myself personally, and a lot of other people can relate to it. I talk about three phases of a 14er, and uh, those three phases are the first phase, which is the highly motivated, uh, high-performing phase, because you're coming out of the gate fast, right? It's first thing in the morning, you've been planning on this, you've prepared for it, you're very excited, everybody wants to get out there and really get after it. Uh, And then after whatever some amount of time, it could be a couple hours, couple miles, several hours, several miles, depending on the hike, you get into the, kind of the, into the groove phase. We're like, okay, yeah, I'm kind of settled in and I've gotten into a pace and I realize that there's going to be some effort and work and some time and energy involved in this and, and, and you just grinding it out, so to speak. And then I talk about how invariably it happens to me most times, not all the time, and it tends to happen to people that are doing the first 14 or a lot, the third phase is the somewhere between the, what have I gotten myself into, to the, I regret my decision phase, right? You know, when you <laughs> still got another hour or two to go and, and you're close to the summit, um, but you're not there yet and you're tired and you're maybe even a little bit sore. Uh, so that, that, those are very common phases for people to go through. The nice thing about Pikes Peak is, especially on the crags trail approach, is you have these amazing views looking out at the Rocky Mountains for literally every time you stop. And I, I tell myself this all the time. And it's one of the joys of hiking in general and hiking with people that don't do it that much. It's easy for people to get really focused on their own kind of physical condition and fatigue. And that's what I like to say, hey, we're going to stop here and let's just sit down and turn around and look out at that view. Look at these beautiful Rocky Mountains out here. Uh, isn't that amazing? Look at that rock formation. Look at look at this wildlife that we see around us. There's just so much to take in on the way up uh, Pikes Peak. So I don't know if you recall that, that was your experience. Yes, this.
0: yes. Definitely stop and smell the flowers and uh, you'll see different people along the way. We chatted with a few people. I don't know if you remember, um, there was an older gentleman, probably in his 70s, and he was behind us and he came up and y'all chatted for a while. And lo and behold, he surpassed us. And it was very inspirational to me because I was like, wow, you know, this is something you could do at any age. And now obviously I think that guy was a lifetime hiker and has done this a lot, but I was still very impressed with him.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I do remember that. And that happens um, more often than you might imagine. It's especially in Colorado. And I mean, there are people, and I hope to someday be referred to as this, uh, but you know, people I call mountain goats. You know, they've just done it their whole life, and you know, they're they're 75, 80, whatever, but they're still out there tromping away on the trail because their body's used to it. They know how to do it, and, and they, they mm-hmm. gain joy from it. Um, so that, by the way, that's one of the reasons that we call ourselves hike for life because we do believe it's a lifetime activity and something that you can do at really any ability level. And it doesn't even have to be things like climbing Pikes Peak, right? I mean, I have. Mm-hmm. Climbed Pikes Peak with a 75 year old right Uh, but that doesn't mean that everybody has to do that you can go out on a one or two or three mile uh, hike around other parts of Colorado that are uh, just amazingly beautiful and it's Mm -hmm. something you can literally do for life Mm -hmm.
0: definitely Um, I remember another area that we went through it was called Devil's Playground can you tell the audience or listeners what Devil's Playground is
1: yeah, so Devil's Playground is uh, the point on the Pikes Peak Crags Trail approach uh, where a couple of things happen there at Devil's Playground. So, first of all, it's the first point that we encounter the Pikes Peak Highway. Uh, there's actually a highway, uh, it's a two lane road, but they call it Pikes Peak Highway, that runs from uh, the summit all the way down to Highway 24. So. You can literally, under normal conditions, drive to the summit of Pikes Peak. And that's incredibly rare for most 14ers. Uh, There's one or two others where you can do that as well. Uh, So I I mentioned that because it's one of the reasons that another reason that we advocate for the Crags Trail, it gives you a lot of bailout and safety options, right? If somebody's having some issues, uh, we encounter the Pikes Peak Highway there and there are Pikes Peak uh, Highway Patrol. It's not like law enforcement. It's part of the city's uh, Pikes Peak Highway uh, system that you can flag down for help and, and things like that if you need to. So it's a good kind of safety net to have that. And then you, you don't quite parallel the road the rest of the way, but you're always never uh, too far from the highway for those last 1,000, uh, 1,500 1, feet or so. Uh, that's the next point about Pikes Peak Highway. It's where you're reaching about the twelve to 13,000 foot stage, okay? And that's where altitude really starts to take its toll. And this is also where point.
0: there's more light like- Oh, sorry. Isn't it also more where there's like lightning strikes at Devil's Playground, like a higher chance of getting struck by lightning there?
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's why they call it Devil's Playground. And, and, you know, the the name is associated with the fact that in lightning storms, there's lightning strikes happening around there all the time. And somebody called it the Devil's Playground because of all the lightning strikes. So, yeah, that's the third point about Devil's Playground. Not a place you want to be in a thunderstorm, right? Which is why it's so important to have that early start, get to the summit, enjoy it, turn around and and start back down. So there's also, uh, and I don't know that we did this, uh, Lisa. I don't believe we did because we usually do it on the way down. There's a little bit of a peak right next to Devil's Playground uh, right before you cross the highway. Uh, That's the highest point in that Colorado County. Pikes Peak actually covers two different counties. And so for that County, that doesn't include the summit of Pikes Peak. There's a high point that's just over 13,000 feet and sometimes we'll pop people up there because high pointing is a thing, right? You know. Uh, people like to get to the highest point in every state, every county, things like that. So, yeah, that's okay. that's a little bit about Devil's Playground.
0: Okay. Um I remember the day of my hike, uh probably the most challenging part for me was like the last third where the elevation was getting up to like 11,000, then you're at 12,000 and I think like probably, definitely around 13,000. I could feel it. I could feel it in my breathing. I felt a little more tired. I needed a little few more breaks, you know, in between. And um, so just, you know, keep it in mind, because you're at your tiredest at the end, and you're having to go up rocks, lots and lots of rocks, and of course, the elevation.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's um, where we start talking about two other things that we try to teach people that are useful for 14 or summit. And these are not things that you need for your basic, you know, hike in Colorado Springs to Garden of Gods or something like that. But we talk about rest step and pressure breathing um, because we try to make the hike educational and pass on skills to you that you can use later on, on other trails and things like that. So this is pretty advanced stuff. You know, it's not what I'd recommend other you know, people try on, you know, their, their walk in the Houston uh, Metropolitan Park or something like that. But rest step is just a technique that we, we teach that uh, allows your body to get these micro rests because you're using your bone structure to support your weight rather than your muscles. Um, mm-hmm. And then just like you talked about um, the breathing, it gets harder at altitude. It's just a reality. There's less oxygen um, for every breath that you take in. And when you're exerting yourself, your body needs more oxygen. And so I, I personally talk about kind of like three phases of breathing um and there's kind of the normal day-to-day breathing that we all do when we're sitting around even having a conversation and that's kind of another way to refer to it would be kind of like shallow breathing we're not using our full lung capacity uh, because we don't need to right our body gets enough just from kind of those shallow breaths that we take as we're sitting and talking or listening or whatever Uh, the next one I talk about is uh, relaxation or yoga breathing Uh, not everybody's done yoga but that's why I talk about relaxation too and it's just this kind of idea that you're going to take a breath in and you're consciously breathing in more than you normally would but you're doing it gently and then you're going to consciously breathe out more and even just sitting in in your room at your desk or something like that in the office that can be very relaxing right one because it's calming i think but it's also a way to get more air and oxygen into your bloodstream and out. but you're not like actively trying to force air in and out and that that's the last phase is the uh, the pressure breathing. Um, some I learned some of this in the military, but it is actually something that's taught in advanced mountaineering. It's where you uh, kind of want to uh, actively suck air in and then actively push it out, all right? You don't want to do it every single breath, but it is something that you want to do. And you, and you should be able to hear somebody if they're trying to do pressure breathing. And, and I think we talked about this as well, Lisa. So, you know, on the trail, especially that last thousand feet or so, Mm-hmm. Pikes Peak is not a quote-unquote big, big mountain, right, but it still helps, it helps me on 14ers even. Uh, you just want to, and I will usually stop if I start like feeling lightheaded headed or I feel like I'm not getting enough air, I'll stop and I'll use that uh, rest step position where one leg is locked out and straight and the other one's relaxed and I'll just take a breath in and be like <sighs> and so you're literally forcing the air out, right, and I have, I don't have it happen as often now, but when I'm not as conditioned or acclimatized, if I would come back to Colorado, as I, uh, so I'm, I'm not as used, used to the altitude, uh, and I'd start feeling um, like I needed more air, if I stop and do that, I'm usually five breaths, and I'm already starting to feel better. So, I don't know if that worked for you or not, or if you recall that.
0: Yeah, I remember doing some like deep breaths and taking it easy and and really kind of um, being aware of my breath and my breathing. So those are awesome tips, really, really important. Um, Another thing when I was doing my ascent is uh, that really motivated me is that my mom was at the top of the summit waiting and um, you can't just drive up there. You have to like go to a certain location, get on a bus and the bus takes you up there. And so you have to kind of plan ahead. But knowing that somebody was gonna be at the top of the summit waiting for me, friends or family, was definitely a motivator. Um, But for those that maybe don't have uh, friends or family, maybe Bruce will give you a hug (laughs) uh, at the end, which is always good. Um, But that definitely helped me. I know for you, we offered you a ride home, but you you walked back down the mountain. It would have been too much for me to walk back down because I was exhausted, elated and exhausted. Um, at the end but that is another option you could take the bus down or you can actually go back down the mountain
1: yeah and a couple of kind of context points about that so when you did your hike and your mom uh, rode the shuttle to the top uh, they're just about done but they were in the middle of building the new uh, summit house and so they restricted traffic flow uh, to the summit it should be at the end of may of 2021 so this year uh, is the plan that they will open the summit house and the road will be fully open to traffic so that people can drive all the way up so her circumstance crowded. yeah it will Uh, it's going to be a beautiful summit house it looks amazing um but it's not ready yet right now they've torn down the old summit house so the one that you were in is gone now i mean it's been raised and there's nothing open at the summit um So yeah, that goes back to the Pikes Peak Highway. It's nice to have those bailout options or the the one-way options that, you know, you took. You know, we probably average about, I don't know, maybe 50-50 people that want to go one way versus do the full round trip. And um, kind of a point on that, you know, it goes a little bit back to your, well, does this count as a 14er comment based on the height? Uh, don't let anybody make the rules for you, you know, make them for yourself. Now, obviously, if you drive your car to the top of the summit of Pikes Peak and you get out and you step onto the concrete, you can't say, I climbed Pikes Peak, right? You know, but Mm -hmm. it's very common when you start, we talk to people and they say, oh, I was telling my friends, I'm gonna hike up Pikes Peak. And they'll say, you know, there's a road to the top, right? Right? Pursue your own passion, right? And if that's hiking one way to the top and that's the right amount for you, and you catch a ride home with mom or you take a shuttle down, perfect. There's also something called the cog rail, which is another option that's opening back up. Uh, so don't feel like- oh, the, train, you know, don't, the train? The train, yeah. The train's opening back up this summer, too. Um, oh, wow. That's great. So there's, there's a ton of options. Uh, do what's right for you uh, at your ability level. You know, Don't let anybody say, well, you didn't hike back down, so that doesn't count, right? Of course it counts. You know, you did the hard part to get to the summit. Uh, if a if somebody get, takes a helicopter uh, to go helicopter skiing, it's not like that run didn't count because they took a helicopter to the top, right? Yeah. Right. So, just a point about that. One way is totally a legit thing. Enjoy your own yeah. experience.
0: Yes, and, and tailor it to whatever your goals are. And obviously, your organization will help individualize the hike if it needs to be just, you know, halfway up the mountain, then you can do that as well. Um, do you have any other like um, last minute tips that you would uh, say if somebody wanted to hike pikes peak with your organization
1: so we've given most of them we're happy to answer any of the questions Um, i would say that uh, we never guarantee that anybody's going to make it to the summit um, because there's just too much that's outside of individual control Um, Mm -hmm. so just it's good to have set goals i believe in goals i'm very goal oriented but uh, be aware that the summit may not always happen. Uh, and all the summits, you know, now I'm up to over 50 and I've got a few more to go to finish out all the Colorado's 14ers. Uh, there are probably a dozen times where I had planned on summoning a 14er and it didn't happen for whatever reason. A lot of times it's weather, sometimes it's personal conditioning or pace or a group member got injured or something. Uh, we just had a guest that was coming out, wanted to do um, a winter 14er with us last week and while two weeks ago it was 70 degrees here on the days that he was scheduled to hike it was going to be uh, in town 30 degrees 30 mile an hour wind and snowing unsuitable for us to even take him. so we didn't even try we just said we know that you're flying out for this a couple of days early and everything else but we're going to tell you that you know it's just not safe to do it so make the safety call don't get uh, what's called summit fever and Mm-hmm. you know literally put your life at risk trying to get to the top of something and, and that comes back to you know it's the journey uh, more than the destination yes. it's that op- opportunity to get out for the experience and if you summit, great if you don't it's still an amazing day in the mountains
0: yes and and you you have to stop and smell the flowers along the way on the trail because there's just breathtaking overlooks and just gorgeous nature all around you Um, I'm going to be putting a video of our trip or our trip of our hike uh, at the end of this uh, section. So stay tuned. Don't close out people uh, because that'll be attached. And um, I just want to thank you uh, for being with us today. I hope that um, a seed was planted. Um, I hope that you guys found this inspirational. And if you want to hike Pikes Peak and decide to do it, I hope that you got a lot of uh, good information today from Bruce and his great organization.
1: Thanks Lisa, it's been great talking with you. And let me just echo that, you know, people should not be afraid to get outdoors and enjoy themselves and and just take that first step. And if you have questions about what that first step should be, feel free to call us or email us and we'll, we'll help you get started.
0: Yes, and please leave a comment down below if you've hiked Pikes Peak before and you've had some great um, tips or strategies you would like to add to this. Or if you just want to uh, ask a question, maybe Bruce will be hopping on here and looking at that later. He can answer, or you can contact him directly on his website. So uh, don't forget to uh, hit the subscribe button and I will see you guys next time. Stay tuned for the video, the Hikes Peak Day video. Thanks. Thank you, Bruce.
1: Thanks, Lisa. Take care.
0: Ooh, okay, I'm gonna stop recording.